Good morning. For the past several weeks, we have been hearing the concluding chapters of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. The church in Corinth was a mixed congregation of Jews and Gentiles. It was also a troubled and divided church. Some factions claimed to belong to Paul, some to Apollos. Some claimed they were superior to others because they belonged to Christ, as if Christ were just another factional leader. Some boasted that they spoke in tongues or performed miracles or prophesied. Some flaunted their sexual immorality. Meanwhile, the rich despised the poor so that the Eucharist, which still included a meal, had become a sacrament of division in which the well-to-do ate and drank too much and the poor went hungry. Most of all, they were proud of their wisdom. Indeed, most troubling of all to Paul was that some even denied the resurrection. They didn't just deny that Jesus was raised from the dead. They denied resurrection, period. This meant for Paul that they denied their own hope. They nullified their own faith, and so they denied the gospel. For Paul, the resurrection was, as he told the Corinthians, of first importance. It was the foundation of the gospel which you received, in which you stand, by which you are saved, if you hold it fast, unless you believed in vain. And so he asked incredulously, if Christ is preached as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Paul was not interested in their opinions. For him, it wasn't even a matter of his preaching or of their faith. But we are found to be misrepresenting God because we testified of God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. Their faith, their forgiveness, their salvation depended on the resurrection of Jesus. And none of that could depend on a lie. But in fact, he says, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who died. For Paul, the resurrection was not an abstraction. It was not a philosophical opinion based on speculation. 
Paul's faith in the resurrection was based on fact. Christ has been raised from the dead. He preached Christ crucified. He had delivered to them what he had received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. His faith in the resurrection was tied to Jesus, who was betrayed and condemned, who was crucified and died and was buried. Jesus was, as the prophet Isaiah had foreseen, despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. This was what was the stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. They could, perhaps, have accepted a king like David or a hero like Achilles, but not one from whom men hide their faces, who was despised and we esteemed him not. But it was this that made Jesus the first fruits of those who have died. For if the resurrection for Paul was not an abstraction, neither was it just a fact. The resurrection of Jesus was an event of revelation. For lo, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed. This is why the word of the cross, though folly to those who are perishing, is to us who are being saved the power of God. Not in our wealth, our power, or our strength does our future or our salvation depend. Because, as we said today, in our weakness, we can do nothing good without you. For all we go down to the dust, and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the resurrection of Jesus points to a future for us who are mortal and for us sinners. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality until death is swallowed up in victory. For the resurrection of Jesus does more than expose the weakness of the flesh and the folly of so-called human wisdom. The resurrection reveals the power of God and the destiny of creation. It was like the church bells in a thunderstorm that Bob Dylan heard one night as the chimes of freedom flashing, flashing for the warriors whose strength is not to fight, flashing for the refugees on the unarmed road of flight and for each and every underdog 
soldier of the night, which were tolling for the aching ones whose wounds cannot be nursed, for the countless confused, accused, misused, strung out ones and worse, and for every hung up person in the whole wide universe. The resurrection points us in Tennyson's phrase to the one far off divine event toward which the whole creation moves. And so, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Amen.